Blog Talk Radio. Republic of Minnesota. Welcome to In the Closet Objectivists. I am your host, Corey Baum, and there's no Megan today. She decided she needed a rest day, so I gave her this week off, so you will not hear her. However, uh, I have a really special guest uh, with me. Um, so let's do a couple things first. Uh, we need to get in, you know, to the usual uh, beginnings of the show and uh, we'll start it out if I had my if I had my introduction queued up, which I do. We'll get the housekeeping going. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping. You come back in an hour. Housekeeping. You want towels? Want towels? Need sleepy. Housekeeping. You want men for pillow? Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. All right. Well, there's that. And uh, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and the TuneIn Radio app. Uh, Follow us, too, on Blog Talk. Just hit the little red or pink or whatever it is. Follow button on blogtalk.com slash in the closet objectivists. And also, if you would, please, we, I, I've yet to see too many reviews or a, any more reviews on iTunes. That helps us move up the charts. Really easy. Log into iTunes. Click the five stars. You really don't even have to say anything. You can just say that you are following my instructions, my lead, and just give us five stars, and that will help improve the visibility of the show on the platform. Also, you can um, donate, if you so desire, at Patreon, or Patron, as Meg likes to say, patreon.com slash Corey Baum. Anything is appreciated. Um, anything from a dollar to 50 cents or more is, uh, is appreciated. Or don't, uh, don't uh, do anything at all and just listen in, and we'll still continue the show. It's just if you find an extra value, you can slip a little something for the effort. Uh, the news headline I have today is uh, this is a pretty good one. I think Meg would like this too. So the Food Network and the ID channel have combined forces to make the greatest channel of all time. Check this out, Stuart, the Serial Killer Channel, right? That's awesome. That'd be great. So that's my fake news headline, a headline we wish was true. The Food Network and the ID channel have combined forces to make the greatest channel of all time, the Serial Killer Channel. Think about it. Take all the time you need. All right. So let's get it. 
I knew there's something suspicious about Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Watch out for him. So uh, he already chimed in, but I'm introducing uh, a member of the of the club here, uh, Stuart uh, Hayashi. Am I pronouncing that your last name right? Yes. Awesome. Now Stuart is a really smart guy. He calls into various other shows. You're on. Uh, Brooke and Amy Peacock's show and you know he's been helping us out here too the last few weeks and uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, to have him on and just kind of have a whole show dedicated to finding out about uh, Stuart so uh, 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 that's that's what we're doing here today so uh, so thanks for for uh, for coming on board and I know that you would be here anyway but it's just a special show for Stuart all right so I don't know if you want to introduce a little something about yourself, but I, I actually have some questions first of all, and then you know you could you could chime in or whatever, and you know if you know uh, if you want to add anything or or whatever, have something different to say, go for it. But the first thing I, I have to ask you though is, what if anything do you disagree with on, in objectivism? Is there anything that you disagree with in that philosophy? Um, well, mahalo. Yeah. Oh, so, sorry, mahalo. Aloha. So thank you. For, Aloha. So thank you. So you, the, you, you, I see you put on the title, the introduction to me. So, you know, this is, I think this is my debut and that makes me a debutante. And I had <laughs> okay. a really difficult time picking out the right dress for the occasion. So I think <laughs> I found one that it accentuates my figure and it's backless. I think, uh, will drive old Allison boys crazy. Yeah. Careful. I don't want to get you in trouble with the, uh, the sexual harassment now. So, uh, you know, let's, you know, be careful. Next thing, you know, okay. Matt Lauer and then Stuart Hayashi gets it. We, we can't have that. Stu. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, regarding whether I disagree with anything objectivism, um, I don't think so. Um, when it comes to Ayn Rand, what, here's the thing. If you, when it comes to the, the, the basic principles of, of objectivism, when you say, well, you know, it's based on, it's individualistic, it's about the importance of reason, you use reason to live your life, and you follow your rational self-interest, and that requires freedom. You know, I don't disagree with any of that. I suppose if you, if you, um, if it comes to if I have to say I disagree with something Ayn Rand said, it would have to be about something very specific, such as sometimes I might be uncomfortable with how she phrased a certain argument. Mm -hmm. So sometimes sometimes I'm not happy with how she words something, but as for the principles of objectivism, I don't think I can find a disagreement. So like aesthetically, you don't think maybe like I don't know she was a fan of Mozart, right? Like, would you, are you, I, I personally, I do like Mozart. I, I you know, uh, there's, I think there's better classical, uh, like, I like Rachmaninoff a lot too. Um, uh, so, but, but like, as far as like, so like art, right? There's, I, I'm sure, because that's, that can be, I try to find the uplifting stuff, but, you know, so, I may not necessarily agree with her on, on aesthetics or art and, and that kind of thing. Um, well, well, since you know I like science fiction and monster shows, this might be a bit surprising, but 
I think Ayn Rand and a lot of other objectivists like the Twilight Zone a lot better than I do. Um, so when I was a little boy, I just had to watch Twilight Zone all the time. But after a while, I got kind of tired of it because they always have, well, not always, they usually have very negative endings. And, you know, and the idea is that the, often Twilight Zone will present this sort of, you know, this sort of corrupt character, mm-hmm. sort of a character who allows himself to be corrupted. So you're not supposed to feel too bad at the end when, you know, when he has a crummy ending. But still, I don't like that. I mean, I think, why do I want to see, you know, a, a corrupt guy get punished at the end all the time? Mm-hmm. I, I want to see something uplifting. So the Twilight Zone ends up often ends up being too negative for my taste. Yeah, and you know, I, and and so I think that I have a more negative view of the Twilight Zone than she did. Right. Yeah, I I did watch one. It's on Netflix. Uh, the 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 series, the old series, <clears throat> is on Netflix. Or it was. I don't know if it still is. But uh, Leonard Peikoff uh, said that his one of his favorite or his favorite Twilight Zone episode was called A Nice Place to Visit. And it's about this criminal who um, uh, he goes around and he robs, uh, I don't know if he robs a bank or, or whatever, and he, he seems to have gotten away with it. And um, he, uh, uh, he gets, what is it, what happens? He gets, he gets shot and he's, he's, he's lying there. And I'm just trying to remember now, for some reason he ends up, oh yeah, he, so he gets shot and he's like, so he, he's dead and he's, he wakes up and he's in, in this uh, nice hotel room and he has like everything that he wants in this hotel room, like whatever he wants, food, money, you know, this, this, uh, this uh, chauffeur, this, this, not a maid, but a guy comes in, he's like, uh, He'd be like a guy that would come up to your room, you know, like a, a valet or whatever. And he comes into his room and he's like, you know, this is all yours. Uh, and, uh, you know, you ha- you can have whatever you want. You know, you know, this is uh, whatever you want. So he's like, oh, I want I want a thousand dollar whatever. And he gives he's like, here it is. Boom. And anything he wants, he gets. So like he, he'll go. He's like, I want to go gambling. And he goes to a casino and he's everything he does he wins he does he wins 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 you know he pulls the slot machines he wins he plays cards he beats everybody and he's like well this is awesome i get everything i want he's got all these women and all this and uh you know if he wants beautiful women he's could just say i want beautiful women and they're coming and 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 uh uh so eventually he gets just bored of winning he just can't take it anymore and he's like he he can't stand it and uh, but any anything he does, he still wins. He still wins. He keeps winning. And uh, by the end of the episode, he's like, "This is I can't believe this is heaven." And the guys, the the valet or the chauffeur or whoever it is, says, "Who? who I never said this is heaven, you know." So that's kind of the end. Mm-hmm. The twist is that you know everything he got, he he wanted in his life was was taken care of. In in in, but he ended up being in hell. So yeah. And I watched that one, and it was pretty interesting. It was a good one. Yeah. I don't know if I st- stumbled enough over it, but because it's you know it's what I, it's been a while since I saw it, so I was trying to recall everything. But yeah, so I liked it. Well, well, the one that I was mo- that I had an easy time relating to, and Ayn Rand mentioned this one in the Romantic Manifesto, was this one where there's this woman in the hospital, 
and she's surrounded by doctors and nurses, and you don't see anyone's faces. It's very film noir, and the woman's face is wrapped up in bandages because she's deformed, and she, and if she, she's having plastic surgery, you know, cosmetic surgery, and if she doesn't, they don't make her look correct this time, they'll have to send her off to some colony where all the other deformed people are. And then, of course, the twist, spoilers, for people who haven't seen it, you know, spoilers, decades, decades later, is that when they take the bandages off, you see she's a beautiful woman, and everyone gasps. They say, oh, no, it's a failure. Then you finally see everyone's faces, and they're all pig-faced. Yeah, and then the, I remember that one. No, no, I'm still, I'm still ugly. And she, she runs she runs screaming, you know, and and I feel that way very often. I think I'm the I'm I'm the normal one, or at least I should be the normal one. And I'm <laughs> surrounded by crazy people, but everyone around me tells me I'm the crazy one. Yeah, I, I have a, and that's that's I, I kind of feel that way too sometimes. I mean, especially when you're talking about, I hate to harp on it, but I got it because it's religion, right? I mean, every time. I'm like you talk to some on you talk to somebody that in the sky that there's no evidence for, and I'm the crazy one for wanting to have proof in front of me and and this, and it, it that's kind of that's how it is for me where it's like, don't you believe in ghosts and and I'm like no I don't have there's nothing there there's no there's nothing for me I used to back when I just kind of was more uh, irrational feelings oriented. In this kind of thing, but once you you know once you come around to a completely reason and rationalism and and just uh, proof, you know using your senses kind of proof. I know I, I keep bringing this up you know in different episodes, but you know it, it, like I said, you just can't go back and you know once you you realize feelings are not tools of cognition, you can't know something because you feel it. That's the end of the line. And so people, and and people, you know, I mean, friends, family, whatever around me think that's crazy. I don't talk about it too much, but the people that I do talk to think it's crazy. I'm crazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's frequently a conservative criticism of Ayn Rand that I've seen. You know, I look in their books and they say, Ayn Rand had some interesting points, but you can tell she's crazy because she's an atheist. And, right. Uh, and I that that makes her the crazy one. Yeah. And it's it's this whole there must be there must be something we don't know. Uh, you know we can't explain it, but so that means that you know there's you know there's a god. They put it like you know God in there or whatever, some sort of supernatural element, and. Uh, but the, you know the thing about it is, I was thinking about this today again too, is, and it, it really is. Seriously, it's like an eye opener for me. There was an eye opener. I was like, okay, well, because I used to believe, and I'd be like, and that what what did it for me really pretty much was well, if if you believe in, in a god, and I believe in whatever other something the exact opposite you know or something very similar but it's different and and we both come up and we say the same i I believe because i have faith because i you know you know just because because 
no real rational reasons just because I, I, I have faith. Well, I can have faith in any number of things. We have the same evidence. Uh, who's to say who's right and wrong? So that was kind of the, my, my beginning of like saying, oh, okay, this is not, you, you, can't, you can't know things by, by uh, just believing or faith or any of that stuff. You can't just know, and, and that would be your, your way. So, yeah, so you can't figure out which, which one is right. So you have to throw it all out <laughs> until something presents itself as evidence through the senses and through rational thought and reason, you know. Yeah. I mean, do you have other questions for me? Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, so I, I was kind of wanted to know what Island are you on? I'm on Oahu. I was going to guess that. Uh, yeah, all right. It's the most developed of the Hawaiian islands. Okay. Okay. And you've been there now. You've been there your whole life, right? Yeah. Never and it has anywhere. a large population too. Okay. How many, what's the population? Oh, I have to. I have to. Look, I have to Google it. All right. Okay. All right. Just uh, yeah, I was curious. I've never been to Hawaii. Now I know that you've been to America or to the mainland, because uh, I said I, I I think you went to like Washington D.C. I want to say I, I thought you did, mentioned that at one point. Uh, so I know that you've been yeah. over here. Yeah, I went to a trip a trip to the East Coast. First, we went to D.C. and Virginia, and then we went to. Massachusetts, and then we went to um, Florida. No, no. First, we first it was first it was D.C. and Virginia, then New York, then Massachusetts, then it was Florida, and then we stayed for a few days in California. Went back to Hawaii. So, how long ago was that? Oh, it was it was a long time ago. I was in elementary school. But okay. back then, the the World Trade Center was still up, and right. I got to go into it. We went to the top floor and we looked out. Oh, you did. So I'm really grateful I got to see it. Yeah, yeah. Myself, I've been to New York uh, once, and I was there in '99. I was at the top of the Empire State Building, and I took pictures of like all four sides going out. So the closest I ever got to the World Trade Center was those pictures of it from the Empire State Building. So I still have um, uh, those pictures in some one of my little safes that I have here. Um, so yeah, I took a picture of that. I would have loved to have gone to the actual Trade Center, but we really didn't have time. We were going upstate for a wedding. So we just spent like a day in the city. And uh, But it was pretty neat being there. I do want to go to the uh, the memorial or the, uh, you know, the One World Trade and you know, see ground zero and that kind of thing someday, hopefully. So, well, this probably won't surprise you, but when we were going to New York, I was so excited mostly because that's King Kong's territory. Yeah. That was the number one reason I wanted to be there. And, and so I, I just love to see King Kong's stomping ground. And we, from, we brought back this pencil, this fancy pencil it was a pencil where the pencil is like a skyscraper and there's a rubber King Kong on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, so now uh, I, I know that you've mentioned this before, but I'm going to ask you again. Uh, so 
who introduced you, who was the first person to introduce you to Ayn Rand or objectivism or whatever? Well, it's a long whatever story. It actually begins, begins decades before I was born. Mm-hmm. So, so may I bore you with the details? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so, so, well, well, first of all, um, my parents were already old old when I was born. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but actually, the story begins around the Vietnam War time. Uh, This is when my parents met, and um, my father. So, um, my both my parents were fans of Ayn Rand, you know, and around the time that they met. Although my father was more enthused than my mother. But this was around Vietnam War time and my father received his draft card and he, you know, and when he got his draft card, he had to sign it. He, he said he told me he felt dirty signing that draft card because you 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 sign a this you sign this form saying, you know, you understand and consent to what is going on being drafted, and he said, "This is a this is a lie. Of course, I don't consent to it. If I don't, if I don't participate in this, I go to jail. There's nothing voluntary about this. So why do I have to put on this pretense of consenting to this?" So he said, "When going along with it, I felt like I had to go along with someone's lie, and I felt dirty." And he told me, and he told me that um, not long after that, he was at the library. University of Hawaii Library, and he saw this librarian reading this thick book, and he said, "Oh, that must be a, something. It must be a real slog to get through all that." And the librarian laughed and said, "No, <laughs> no it's actually really good." He said, "Really? What is it?" And she said, "It's called Atlas Shrugged." Mm-hmm. So he decided to check it out, and he said, "When he read that whole part about Hank Reardon, you know, having to..." Sign a quote gift certificate unquote. Yeah. yeah. When he read about the sanction of the victim, he understood what was going on. Yeah. So it's not connected. You know, they can state can force you to do all sorts of things, but even then, it has it requires you to for states to keep their power. They have to. They have to. You have, they need your cooperation. They need you to help them put on this pretense that what they're doing is benign and liberal. You know, and consensual. Mm-hmm. So, so, so my father got very interested in that, and he, he, from that point onward, all throughout the 1980s, every time a new Ayn Rand book came out, he got it. You know, such as Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, such mm-hmm. as, um, the, such as Philosophy, Who Needs It, all that, on into the mid 1980s, okay. and. And my mother read, mother read the Head and Atlas Shrugged too. So, here's my so. But this is the first time I encountered Ayn Rand. So this was actually that same East Coast trip. Okay, so, so finally, we see the most exciting part near the end. That was when we were in Florida. We went to all the all the theme parks. We went to Epcot Center. We went to Walt Disney World. We went to MGM Studios. The Universal Studios, which Universal Studios Florida was the best one because we got to go on Confrontation. That's King Kong ride. And since King Kong movies are being made again, they ought to bring that one back. Oh, and we went to on Back to the Future of the Bride. But anyway, at Epcot Center, 
we were at Epcot Center, and there this, there's this place where you see all of these quotations on the wall from these famous people, such as from Charles Lindbergh. And then yeah. my mother supplied one. She said, oh, I have to show your father this. And then I, I saw it, and I didn't know what it meant, but she, my mother got my older sister and me to pose near that quotation on the wall. And it yeah. says, throughout the, centuries, there were, throughout the centuries, there were men who took first steps armed with nothing but their own vision. I yeah. ran. Right. And, and I posted that photo on social media. Yeah. You know, for anyone who's interested. So that was my first time I saw Ayn Rand. But that wasn't really, but I just thought that was just some weird quotation. Sure. So this is, so this is how I, I got interested. So this, so this is how I was more formally introduced. So around middle school, you know, I just figured I shouldn't have to conform. I shouldn't have to mold myself into what the other, my classmates want. And it runs something that runs in my family is that ever since age eight we've all had white hairs, you know. And I guess you can't, you, I, you know, it's not very obvious from photographs of me, but if you come up really close to me face to face, you'll, you could probably see the white hairs if you, if you look for them. So in sixth grade, some bullies noticed this, and it so horrified them. So, They're so offended by this that they they demanded that I dye my hair. Oh. And I, right. And I, I don't see why I should spend that kind of money, <laughs> you know, for that kind of thing. So they beat me up and they spit on me. Jeez. But you know, I I held my ground, and I yeah. I talked to my parents about this. And I told my I told my father, you know, my peaceably having white hair, you know, doesn't hurt anyone or their property. So right. um, I don't see why I should have to change to accommodate other people's irrationality. They should just mind their own business. And I'm not going to cave in. I'm not going to capitulate to their demands when I'm not doing anything wrong. And he said, you sound like an Ayn Rand. That's how he thought her name was pronounced. He always said Ayn Rand. And I said, what's yeah. an Ayn Rand? So... Yeah. So he took out this small paperback book. He said, "This is called Anthem. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can read it sometime." So I had it with me for many months, and I didn't read it. But one day, but one day, one day at school, I wandered into the school library, and it was there. It was recess time, so I thought, "Okay." I I started. I took. I said, "I'll just take a little a small peek." And I was just hooked. I was just hooked mm-hmm. throughout the whole recess period. So that night I went back. I I got out my father's copy, read the whole thing. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I I just have to I just have to I just have to familiarize myself with you know with everything she wrote. Mm-hmm. And my father had the, the VHS copy of The Fountainhead. I mean, on VHS, he tape, he recorded the movie version of Fountainhead with Gary Cooper yep. and Patricia Neal. Yep. So I have to I have to admit to you quite shamefully that I watched the movie before I read the the Fountainhead. Well, that and was course, and I I Ayn Rand approved of that, but does she uh she she didn't uh, she supervised it right like super or supervised the script and all that she was on the set for that movie. Yeah. 
She made she yeah. made sure that it got done pretty pretty good. It, it's a good movie. I liked it. I watched it too. Uh, yeah, it was on not too long ago. You know what was yeah. funny too? So so hey, real quick. So uh, so I the, the Fountainhead it was on t, uh, TCM, okay Turner Classic mm-hmm. Movies, and uh, you know they, they just show the whole movie. So they, there's no commercials or anything. But the guy who was hosting the event it was a Patricia Neal uh, Athon. So it was all movies that she was in. So so anyway, uh, the Fountainhead was one of them, and the guy who was introducing these these movies. So this guy is part of the Young Turks. His name is Ben Mankiewicz or Mankiewicz or whatever. <laughs> anyway, he's part of the Young Turks network introducing the Fountainhead starring, you know, uh, Gary Cooper and Patricia Neal. He probably has no idea what that – I would like to see if he actually watched that movie or if he just was hired to introduce these things and, you know – because I, 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 I was just flabbergasted by that. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I, but yeah, I, I think I should mention. Well, I think I should mention that I was already going in a more pro-capitalism direction before, before I read all read the Fountainhead. You know, I was already going in the pro-capitalist direction. You know, a little bit before the sixth grade. Um. But so here's what happened. So, you know. Throughout all of elementary school, I was inundated with all this environmentalist propaganda. You know, back back when global warming was really big, and when James James Hansen testifying before Congress, when I was watching Saturday, not Saturday, at these these kid shows in the afternoon, such as Ducktales, and they would always play this advertisement about the greenhouse effects. I ran around the house screaming, "The Earth is burning! The Earth is burning!" And and then of course the rainforest was really big back then, so I got inundated with all this propaganda about how evil, greedy man is killing all yeah. the cute animals, and of course yeah. I the to toward the cute animals, and then the teachers told me how I should feel bad, and I had to learn to stop consuming so much, especially air conditioning. Air conditioning is bad; it hurts the ozone. Yeah. After a while, I thought, you know what? This is pretty silly. I mean, I'm so dependent on all this technology that I couldn't live, and I totally feel guilty about it. You know, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know what? I don't see why humans should be sacrificed for the endangered albino cockroach. And why should right? Why should the endangered albino pygmy cockroach be put above human beings? Yep. You know. So I was already yeah. going in that direction, and um, so and I so I should tell you my Milton Friedman story. So when I was in, so when I was before I read The Fountainhead, my father said, you know, what, I should tell you about capitalism and socialism and uh, communism, mm-hmm. and then he, so he describes each of them for me, and he says, oh, and he starts talking starts talking about Milton Friedman. And Milton Friedman gives this whole argument about capitalism is good because it's more efficient. And snoozers, you know, it was really boring. The right. whole utilitarian argument with capitalism is just boring. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, I also like capitalism because it's it's more efficient. It, I, I, I didn't doubt my father. I said, okay, but it didn't it didn't capture my heart. It, right. it couldn't inflame me. It couldn't impact, impassion me. 
Right. Well, it's it was good already, for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. But Sorry, it, go ahead. But it, it didn't. It didn't excite me. But right. I was already against, you know, egalitarianism because I was. I I was actually in the in the first grade. I was put in the slowest. In the first grade, the teacher um, sort of segregated all whole class into different group, reading groups, and she categorized us by different colors. And I was in the yellow group. And I noticed why is it that all my friends are reading got to read this book months before I got to read it? It's because I was in the slowest reading group. You know, so I was in the slow group. I was in the basically the dumb group. But you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that, I, I didn't be already. I didn't believe in letting other people categorize me. So I thought, you know what, the teacher can be as condescending as she wants. I have confidence in my own abilities. I'm going to do my art my way. Oh, and the teacher, by the way, yelled at me for coloring. We had to, for school, our schoolwork was coloring, you know, drawings, pictures, and I colored outside the lines. The teacher yelled at me for that. He said, oh, this is, this is kindergarten work. And I cried. Mm. Not because I not because I agree with her, but I just don't appreciate that kind of aggression. Mm-hmm. You know, and domination and trying to you know, or in, in trying to control people through humiliating them and intimidation. So I didn't appreciate any of that, but mm, it, she didn't control how I felt about myself, though. But by... It's hard. By, yeah, but... But 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 as I got older, I got increasingly I got better and better grades, and I did the math homework. I figured out how to do the math homework. I could do figure out things that my classmates couldn't figure out. And they would always demand that I show them. So I would spend three hours each night doing the math homework because it was never easy for me. But I still did it. And then my classmates, who just didn't do, just didn't care. They would demand I show them my homework so they could copy it. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Why is it that I have to earn? Why do I have to earn these marks? You know, why do I have to spend three hours a night to earn these marks? And then you can just come along and copy it with minimal effort. Right. I really just appreciate that. So I really, and they said, well, I need it. I need this from you. And I said, yeah. I need this help from you. And I said, that frankly, that's not justification enough. So even then, right. the argument didn't work on me. And this is really why I think intellectual property rights are very important because you spend years and years and years and all your money and resources on R and D to come up with your invention or your and, or your artwork. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it, it, it could, and now now people can just copy copy your original design. You know, in a couple of seconds, and with very low cost, you know, and pass off your work as their own. Mm-hmm. So I really don't yeah, appreciate I, libertarians trying to denigrate intellectual property rights and saying, "Oh, well, you know, you know, if we make unauthorized copies of your artwork, well, we're not stealing anything from you. You still have it." <laughs> what they ignore is the fact that, yes, they are taking something from me. I invested all these resources into creating this, creating this, and I'm not recompensed for any of that when people just steal my design. 
Right. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Because uh, you could see people, you know, uh, whoever in first invented the first, you know, vacuum cleaner, you know, uh, it's been improved. Like Dyson came along and improved it like 10,000 times better than it was back when Ream uh, first or Kirby back in the 50s or whatever, when they were, you know, going out and, and you know, marketing. So there's kind of a fine line. I'm not an IP expert by any means. I think it's a little different though in art, like you're drawing, like, you know, if I copy a, a drawing or a, a, maybe a comic book that you did, obviously that would be an infringement. Uh, but it, 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 I, I'm not, if you improve upon an existing thing, is that a bad thing? Is that are you stealing? And you know what I mean. No, no. All all patents are really on improvements on existing, on existing machines. What's really we're patenting isn't the machine as a whole. You're patenting the improvement you made upon it. Mm-hmm. But you right. know, I'm sure I'm sure Meg Meg can explain it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll be, it's just interesting. The whole IP thing is, you know, if, if you show me, so here's the way I, I kind of understand. If you, if you put something out there in the ether, you know, you just, it, you, you know, I have this new design for whatever, I don't know, design a uh, new widget, new kind of widget. And you put it out there. Uh, and then it's, you know, someone steals it or they take the idea and they make it, you know, how, you know, is that wrong necessarily? I mean, you put it out there, uh, you know, what, what's to, you know, if, if like, you know, a wheel is, it was made in America here before like any sort of, uh, 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 before any sort of like, travel was possible or something and the wheel was first invented you know wherever it was invented and then halfway across the country someone else came up with it not because they stole from you just because of the human mind and you know they just figured it out you know is you know how do you how do you square that away so to speak is that uh, you know is that a problem yeah you know well I I should clarify so Ayn Rand's books are very popular in Hawaii. You, you can't go in any library and not find Ayn Rand's books. Mm-hmm. Like even in the smallest library, you know, like on like where you could go in the most most secluded, most um, you know, most secluded, most un- remote, undeveloped part of Oahu. And if you go to a library there, a small village library, you can, you can find Ayn Rand's books there. Yep. But and I should clarify that. So Ayn Rand's books are selling very well on this island. Every time I go to the library every week, and routinely I see on the shelf for book requests, someone requested a copy of one of Ayn Rand's books to read. And I wish I could I could peek at the computer and see who, who's who's doing all the requesting, because I'd love mm-hmm. to meet those people. But right, and I, 
And so I learned about Ayn Rand from my parents, but I should clarify, I'm the only person in my family who's an objectivist. You know, because um, okay. a, lot of people, a, lot, so a lot of people in my family are syncretic. You know, in, in relig- when you talk about religion, syncretism means you try to mix different religions together. Okay. You know, and that's very common in Japan, you know, where they mix together Shintoism and Buddhism. Some people even try to mix Christianity in with those. And okay. so, so a very popular viewpoint in my family is, I'm, most of what Ayn Rand says is correct, most of what James Mishner, the novelist, says is correct, and most of what Senator, late Senator Daniel Inouye said is correct. Well, they can't, they, they can't be because they're, they're, they all <laughs> contradict each other, especially Ayn Rand yeah. and Daniel Inouye. They can't both yeah. be mostly correct. It's either yeah. or. Yeah. Ayn Rand's way. So, and I try to explain this to my family, but mm, that that's the only area where they're very stubborn. Yeah, well, it's it's just like any you know you get to a certain age and things calcify and you don't uh, you new things can't come in and take hold. That's why I kind of like I want to be able to be that guy where I'm forty I'm forty two years old and I want to be able to be like oh shit. You know, I've been thinking this way all my life, and I, there's some new evidence here. I need, to, I should probably look into it. And at least if you know, and if it holds up to reason and 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 and, and my my uh, my senses and all this, then then I I can integrate it or you know correct. I can either correct it or if if the evidence or whatever I'm seeing is wrong, then I can maybe help someone else understand why it's why it's wrong or why you know why it needs to be fixed or whatever. You know what I mean? That's, I, that's kind of what the way I want to be. And I want to be that way the rest of my life. I don't want, cause I know I don't know everything, you know, it's crazy to think that if you are super into religion, if you're a big religionist, then you're basically saying that you're omniscient because you know, it, all you have to do is say, well, I, I can't explain it, but God, I, I know there's God and, and he, you know, he said it. So, that's good enough for me. So I, I, it's, it's always funny to me that people think because I use my mind and reason and stuff, they think, well, you just know everything, don't you? And I'm like, no, you, you're the one that says, you know, everything because there's God and you could just God, God explained it. So that's it. You know, so you know it, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't, there's some things I do know. There's some things I don't know, but I know how to get, the answer and where it will come from if if the answer you know if, if the answer is knowable where it will come from so i don't want to be well, one of those go ahead well a lot of people a lot of people who accuse atheists of being arrogant are begging the question that what their assumption is is that if you feel confident in yourself and what you're doing then you claim then you claim to know it all and no, you, that, right. you don't have to claim to know it all to be confident in what you're doing. You just need to know what you're doing, and you, and you need to be. And, you, and of course, you're aware, even though you don't know everything, you're aware that you have the means to fill in the gaps, information gaps. And they 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 think, well, you well here's Mister, you're big, you're big shot, huh? Because you don't have to have an imaginary friend to help you pretend to fill in the gaps, you know? 
you, you, you're so arrogant, you can just say, well, we don't know something, then we just presently don't know it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to say, no, I already have the explanation, and it's God. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, I think I've done a couple of shows now with Meg about certainty. You know, how can you be certain of something and why people reject it, you know, if it's not, if it's not, uh, well, on to religion. It's like you can be certain that there is a supernatural being, but you can't be certain that the car you're seeing in front of you is a car. You know what I mean? Kind of like, yeah. how do you know that's, you know, your sense, well, where can, other... you know, what's that? So, yeah, so before, even before I read the final hit, I was going in that pro-capitalism direction. But, you know, I find that, so when I read all of Ayn Rand's stuff, I wouldn't say that it, it completely changed the way I thought about the world. But it was so terrifying in that I thought, wow, I I, I was going in this direction, but I often didn't know how to phrase it. When respect, I didn't know how to phrase what was going on. or the, I didn't know right. how to phrase the phenomenon I was, I was witnessing. And Ayn Rand, so reading Ayn Rand really helped clarify that for me. Yes, and that's the thing, too. Is that I think that's, <clears throat> that is part of what attracted me, is she put words to what I was thinking all along, but I just didn't have the words for it. Uh, I, I hate to, I, I, I don't like to use the, 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 I don't like to use, you know, using words to what I was feeling either because, you know, again, emotions aren't tools of cognition. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's right. But what I had in mind, you know, I ha- I was conflict. I felt always conflicted. Like I didn't, I knew that, I didn't really think religion was going to be for me, but it's like, it just seemed like the thing because everybody else is doing it. And like, you know, so I guess, you know, I had to go occasionally and I had to, you know, say grace and, I, and, and okay, fine. You know, and, and, but then as like, well, then as I got older and I'm like, when I got out of my own, I'm like, well, I'm not going to church. I don't listen. I don't do, I don't practice any of this in my, you know, so I just, and then, so I didn't really have like a, a real philosophy. I just did a lot of drugs when I was in my twenties and stuff and just partied a lot. And I was a bartender and I just, that's it. I was just a product of that environment and I liked it and I was having fun with friends and I didn't, but I didn't really have, you know, like any sort of concretized philosophy. It was just like, don't kill anybody and you know, and you're fine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't steal, you know, don't, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, so yeah. And then, you know, when, when I started getting older and, you know, had kids and, and this, I'm like, well, I, we went to church a couple times and I'm like, I can't just do this. I can't do this. You know, I can't go and do this. Um, and it, it just, I knew that I had to do something. I had to set an example. You have, you know, if you, I don't know if you have kids, but I, you know, I, you, you gotta, you need to have them have some sort of a base to, to, uh, to understand things. And I, you know, it wasn't until I'm like, you know what, you can use your mind. I started studying Dr. Peacock and reading Ayn Rand. And I'm like, you know what, Th- we use our senses every day. We use our minds every day. 
let's just keep doing that and we'll be fine and understand where, where rights come from and why we need them. And, 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 and that should, that's, that's, that's a good philosophy to have and a good way to know, you know, to know what you need to do in order to live and, 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 you know, Understand that that human beings are of value, not because somebody says so, but because you trade with humans, and trading is is win win for both parties. And so all this stuff just started falling into place, and and uh, for me, and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it all just all the tumblers clicked into place. And now I haven't read everything Ayn Rand's done, but I've read a lot, and I've I've listened to a lot of her uh, uh, interviews, and obviously with Euron and, and this. So I feel like I got a good not all the way grasp on it, but I have a good grasp on it. I understand. And that's, that's where I want to be. That's my high in my hierarchy of hierarchy of values. You know, I have my families right at the top, you know, my wife and kids, but then my philosophy is right up there. That's like the next thing my philosophy, my podcast, this is all way up there. So, you know, and it's all, it's all thanks in part to, Defying this this philosophy of objectivism and you know not accepting sacrifices of virtue or you know that that you can know things and that the whole reason that this earth is around or the whole reason that we have the things we have is because of the human mind is because of humans going out and inventing things and making things and producing things it's not because we're bestowed with some whatever from the sky right so yeah it, then it just kind of made sense all of a sudden everything just made sense to me <laughs> so so um, do you have uh, any other questions for me okay so I was actually going to ask you uh, and I probably know this but uh, your favorite book oh it would be Atlas Shrugged okay all right. I, I figured you were going to say that or something. Yeah, Fountainhead is second second place. Yeah. I also like I do like James Mishner. You know, James Mishner. He wrote the book Hawaii, and he's not from Hawaii, but he really does homework. I mean, in many ways, he knew he knew he knew, he knew more about Hawaii than I I do, even still. So I like the book, even though he, philosophically, in many ways, he's very misguided. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, like I, I mean, that's by Harper Lee. Yep. Yeah, that was. So, uh, so, uh, I, I, I tell you, um, but I mean, since I'm the only Hawaiian objectivist, so can I tell you why I've been pretty defensive about Hawaii these days? Why I have to, why I have to um, stand up for Hawaii? Yeah, go for so, it. So, <clears throat> so. So after I read the following thing, and that was wrong, I went around telling everyone Hawaii is too socialist, you know, it's statist, and that's why that's why the economy is so stagnant. And I stand by all of that. I stand by all of my grievances, but now I have to qualify it. I have to tell people um, it's not it's not any worse than what goes on in Massachusetts or New York or California. It's right. because because a lot of people have this notion, this very creepy notion. For a long time, I thought only leftists had it, but increasingly, I, within the Trump era, I'm seeing it from people who say they're on the right. But there's this notion that 
white people are capitalists by default, and non-white people, especially no. East Asian, people of East Asian descent, yeah. are non-capitalists by no. default. No, I'd and say the opposite, people, if anything. <laughs> and then they say, well, Hawaii, whites are a minority in Hawaii. Therefore, that's why Hawaii, Hawaii is so socialist. That's why you're all Democrats. And Hawaii really is capital B Democratic. I mean, we have in the state house of representatives, we have a double digit number of um, state state senators. For many years, there, for for a while, there's only one. For many years, there were only two state senators who were Republican, and I worked for yeah. one of them. At present, all of them are Democrats. Yeah, yeah. So. So it's capital D Democratic, but not but lowercase D Democratic, not so much. So so I I have to have all those complaints there, but that's not why. But it's not because no, it's not because it doesn't have enough white people. <laughs> so that's why I have to get through to people. It's a really creepy notion. Um, often we hear left left wing people say it. They'll say yeah, white people are capitalists. Yeah, non-white people are. Socialist, and when they said that, that was their way of denigrating white people in general, and praising, you know, non-white people in general. That's what Michael Moore would do. That's why he would say Hawaii is relatively benign. But increasingly now, creepy Stefan Molyneux and the alt-right, when they they say, yeah, it's true, white people are capitalists by default, and non-white people are socialists by default, and that is their way of denigrating non-white people. And then they say, well, that's why we have to stop this. Immigrant, immigrant barbarian invasion, mm-hmm. and then and I, I got and I got so creeped out when that judge in Hawaii, you know, who's a white guy by the way, but he ruled against Donald Trump's travel ban, and I saw all these really creepy tweets on Twitter, people from Trump supporters saying, "Yeah, why, you know, they're not American anyway. Why should they get to dictate over what a real, a real Americans do?" Mm-hmm. And and of course our own the Attorney General himself Jeff Sessions said why should some island in the middle of the Pacific get to dictate over the real America? You know, I, I didn't and, I didn't hear, I didn't hear him say that. Oh, I, I, the, the Attorney no, General no. Jeff Sessions. Oh, you mean you didn't hear him say that? No, I I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't hear. No, the thing is is um. Uh, I, here's the thing, Stuart. I, I really don't pay much attention to politics anymore, but uh, I only go by what I, I mean. I trust you that what you're saying is right. I, that's I have no problems with that. I just I can't. There's only so much I can take, man. <laughs> you know, because because once once again with with Rand and, and objectivism is once I found out that it's not politics, it's philosophy. That's another that's another big Tumblr click for me. Was once I figured. That it doesn't matter who's in charge; they have the same philosophy. Just they just have a little different way of going about it. The, the ends are the same. It's the, the the state control over your life in the name of God in one hand, and on the other hand, it's just because 51% of the population wants it or whatever. Uh, it, once that last connection was made for me, that was it. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like I try to get people to see philosophy first and not just any philosophy, the correct philosophy, the one of rational self-interested capitalism, laissez-faire capitalism. So, yeah, 
but you could go but, on. Uh, yeah. So I'm sorry. But yeah, I, I know. To... I know this. I know this. Um, when it comes to people in the continental United States talking about Hawaii in a political context, as usual, both the left and the right are wrong. Because left-wing mm-hmm. people will either either have this sort of romanticized view of Hawaii, you know, they have this sort of cartoonish view of how Hawaii is benign because they think everyone in Hawaii agrees with their left-wing agenda, which is not actually accurate. Or they'll t- say, oh, you know, oh, yeah, the evil white people stole Hawaii from the Hawaiians, and we should give it back to them. The, 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 there's so many false assumptions in that statement. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I could go on hour, like five hours about what's wrong with that. but So the left is wrong about Hawaii, not surprisingly. But I find almost everything, every time I come across someone from the continental United States criticizing Hawaii for being left-wing, it's so ignorant. I mean, it's so ignorant. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Like, um, like saying, you know, well, you know, people in Hawaii hate America, you know, they don't, they don't even want to be part of us, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not, you know, and a lot of, a lot of that really does have to do with racism. A lot of people assuming, yeah, Hawaii doesn't really want to be, isn't really American. They don't want to be American. There, you know, there is a sole racist component of that, you know, it's because they think there aren't enough white people in Hawaii. But um, also Hawaii isn't left wing in the way many people assume it is. For instance, I was okay. talking with this girl from New York, and she wasn't, <clears throat> you know, she wasn't being mean or anything, but we're talking about radical feminism and social justice warriors, and you know about how and about how you have to be so politically correct about sex and gender these days. And she said, "Oh yeah, you must have it really bad in Hawaii because it's, it's all Democrats. So Hawaii is so liberal." And I said, "Well, actually, actually, Hawaii is less politically correct in that regard." In your neck, your neck of the woods. I mean, because I, I, in my understanding, you're surrounded by people who say, yeah, yeah, the West is a rape culture. Yeah, men just really do just want to go around wanting to rape women. But if you went to almost any gathering of Democrats in Hawaii, and you, you said that, people would look at you askance. They'd be bewildered. <laughs> you know, so Hawaii isn't left wing in that respect. It's not. Politically correct in that way, Hawaii is very demo- all Democrat in respect that the legislators will always side with the labor unions. Anything labor unions lobby for, they get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, and because they they fund a lot of their campaigns, and it's just cronyism to the highest degree. So they you scratch my back and I scratch your back and da da da. You know how that goes. Yeah. So, and, and you know, the thing is, is Minnesota is crazy left. Um, it, I've never been to Hawaii, and I, so I'm just going on what you say. But uh, Minnesota, and it's it's basically uh, St. Paul's a union town, and so St. Yeah. Paul's big, big union town, very corrupt uh, as far as that goes. Uh, Minneapolis is not so much the unions; um, it's just out and out just socialism, socialism, communism, you know, just flat out. There's so, uh, but, but they're both like, it's just that St. Paul, Minneapolis rules as far as politically. So all the other, uh, if you're talking all the other out state uh, uh, counties, they're all red. 
except for the Iron Range. So then you get up like Hibbingway, you know, where Hank Reardon was operating his mines or uh, working in the mines, uh, upstate New York or upstate Minnesota. And uh, that's 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 uh, that's uh, Democrat. Uh, and that's uh, and then then the cities and then that's it. Everybody else in the, in the state is red. So well, I have uh, a question sorry. for you. Yeah. So how did you feel about Jesse Ventura, both okay. during the okay. campaign when he first ran and after he got into office? Okay, so here I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I was not political then. I did vote for him because I thought he was cool. Yeah, I'll be completely honest with you. <clears throat> I was a dummy. <laughs> I didn't. I did. I didn't pay attention to politics. I thought he was cool, and I liked the fact that he was a wrestler, and I, that's why I voted for him. And he was. A, he was just. He was not status quo guy. He was someone who was going to come up and, and, and just shake things up. And I didn't think. I didn't think farther than my. You know, the next bong hit when I was when he was running. So I just thought he was cool. I liked him in wrestling. He was a funny guy, and. Looking back on it, it was dumb. He was, he had, he's a real weird guy, as you know. Um, the yeah. one thing that he did, okay, and you may know this, uh, is he actually gave tax money back to the people. So he, I remember uh, one year, it was just one year, I got a check back just because just he, he said, I'm giving money back to all the taxpayers. So he, he would write, I don't remember how much it was, but he, I remember getting a check. He, everybody got a check that was a taxpayer. So he gave money back to the taxpayers. I thought that was really cool. Like that's the one yeah. thing that I, yeah. So uh, other than that, yes, it's a mistake. He was bad. Uh, you know, his whole, his whole way of thinking. And when, when it went, the last, when he brought up, when he brought up, and this was after he was out of office, but when he brought up, if there's a minimum wage, why shouldn't there be a maximum wage? I'm like, I I, I couldn't believe. It. I mean, I could believe it because he's a, he's an idiot. So yeah. Yeah. But you see, I want. I was curious because it was my understanding that when he first ran in 1998, he ran on a very lazy fairest kind of platform, where he would say. You say, you know, we, we, you know, the, the government is too powerful. We often tries to protect people from themselves. You know, yep. when often some very dumb guy will go out on the ice when it's very obviously thin. You know, he'll skate on thin ice and it will break and he'll fall in. And we and lots of people want to pass laws to stop that. They want to protect people from themselves. But you can't legislate stupidity. So. Yeah. You know, I thought he ran on a Lacey Ferris platform, but once he got into office, you know, he became he became more of a conventional politician. In some ways, even unconventionally bad, such as hobnobbing with Fidel Castro, you yeah. know, those sorts of things. And well, as he and says, then, the whole thing is maximum wage. Well, and then the, the and then the first you got to remember the first year that he was in the office. He really wasn't in office. He was going on David Letterman, and he was going on all these other. He he I, he just was gone for you know for like that first year because it was such a shock. It was like well, it's like when Trump got elected, right? Everybody was just lost their minds. So it was a lot like nobody expected him to win. So when he did, 
then he, you know, all these shirts, oh, my governor's tougher than your governor and this and that. And nobody really, you know, nobody my age, I remember people my age and a little older, a little younger, right in, right in my wheelhouse, you know, we went to the polls and droves because we all wanted something different and we got something different, I guess, in, in a certain way. But then, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. So, you know, it was just about the shakeup. That's it. It was about anarchy maybe in a certain way you know we just wanted we were tired of the same old stuffy suits and we thought well we'll get a guy in there that can beat you up if he wants to <laughs> I don't, you know so and I think a lot of people yeah. my age and younger uh, kind of felt that way we we're like sick of just same old same old stuff you know but again I wasn't a thinker then. I wasn't a deep thinker then at all. So, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I I saw him in Predator, Running Man, all these, you know, that kind of thing, and we thought, oh, that's pretty cool. We'll just go with that, you know. So. Well, that's really just yeah. funny because I mean. I mean, lots of people laughed at Ronald Reagan. He was an actor, and I think he—I think that compared to most politicians, you know, he was pretty decent. He was for a while. Yeah, I mean, he was for a while. Then he started talking weird. You know, I mean, it's—it's it's not like look, the the state is still around. You know, I mean, he didn't just—you know—he said dumb things. He, you know, he like Trump. He says dumb things, right? Jesse took a t- Jesse said took dumb things to another I think he took I think he's a lot said a lot more dumb stuff than Trump has believe it or not uh, you know I think Jesse is much more uh, uh, in that regard a little bit he says a lot of more dumb things than you know Trump but that's just my opinion uh, yeah yeah he he goes around talking about military industrial complex and the how they assassinated Kennedy and all of that the conspiracy stuff is just, it's crazy. Yeah. He's just a nut. You can't believe anything, you know? So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of it for me. And then, you know, and then I, after, after he was elected, um, you know, it was just kind of a phenomenon, a one-time thing. And then, uh, I didn't really vote again or pay much attention until later on. Um, you know, and I, they say all politics is local and, and that's true. Uh, I didn't really pay much attention to the local stuff and it was more about, because the thing is, is it, it like we just had a mayoral election here and it doesn't matter because again, when you have the same philosophy, you're, you're, you might get a different face in there and they might say and do a couple little different things here and there. But in at the end of the day, there's no change here and there never will be until the philosophy changes. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. I'm not, I don't, I'm not optimistic and you know, I, this is supposed to be a positive uplifting podcast, but when, when, <laughs> well, when we don't, talk, well, when we don't talk about politics, it is, <laughs> but when we do then I get, you know, then I'm like, Oh, you know, cause it, I see the futility of of objectivism really ever getting a foothold and but it starts out as education so you know if i can show my kids right the the way to 
to to to look at things that are not necessarily that I have the answers, but to use your mind, you know, to 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 be okay, you know, trying and, and, and doing something for yourself because it makes you feel good, it makes you productive, then do that, right? And but there's obviously like I said, I always have to qualify it with saying as long as you're not interfering with the rights of another person to do what they what they want to do within their rational self interest, then 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 I'll bet you can have and do what you want. I'll bet you're off. So well, what, may I tell listeners like something? Sure. But yeah, but so if anyone's listening and wants to call in any time in the future, you ask me about Hawaii. Yeah, well, please do so. I can't. There's certain things I can and can't answer. Like if you want to know about the politics in Hawaii, but what's really going on. You know, I can answer. Like, you could ask me, is there really a secessionist movement in Hawaii? Spoiler, yeah. no, there isn't. The whole notion that there is is exaggerated. There is a movement that wants Native Hawaiians to be a, quote, nation within a nation, unquote, like with yeah. American Indian reservations. But that's not really the same as secession. And I can explain, I can explain why there's a distinction there. But, yeah, I can answer that. I can also answer questions on the philosophic attitudes that people have in Hawaii such as uh, collectivism, which is too strong, mm-hmm. and like, and like a, the Japanese and Chinese influence on the philosophy in Hawaii. But if you, uh, questions I can't answer, like I, like I can't, if you want me to tell you about different types of Hawaiian foods, like poi, you know, this is going to sound embarrassing. I don't, I don't, I don't eat a lot of Native Hawaiian food. <laughs> I don't eat a lot right. of poi. So, yeah, okay. and if you want, you want to know which are the best spots for tourists to go to, I, I can't answer that either because those are all places I went to when I was a little boy, and I haven't been back to them since. But I should I should mention that there is a John Galt glider port in Hawaii because there was actually a businessman in Hawaii in the early 1900s named John Randolph Galt. And on the Big mm-hmm. Island of Hawaii, there was a railroad that carried sugarcane, this cargo of sugarcane. And carried it back and forth from one place to another, and temporarily, as president, was the president of the Hawaii Consolidated Railway on the Big Island was John Galt. So I thought you might find that interesting. Yeah, yeah. But did, did so, he? So, did you mention him before? I, I don't remember. I think. Well, I, I, I remember some... wrote a roll about it on Facebook. Okay. Okay. He, but he's not like the his his attitude. Isn't like the John Galt that we know and love, correct? Oh no, uh, the John Galt of Hawaii was a tax collector. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> no. yeah, that, definitely not the John Galt that we know and love. That that's for sure. Uh, I was just gonna, I'm gonna start probably start wrapping it up here, but I wanted to ask you one one other thing. Um, so, I was curious about where what are your hierarchy of values? What's first, second, that kind of thing? Oh, well, well that's a tough one. I mean, I get, are you talking about in terms of goals? Yeah, what, whatever whatever your first whatever your first value is, your first priority, whatever, what is that? And then you know, I don't oh. know if you give me a couple Oh no, no! Oh, I wish I had time to prepare to prepare for this because it's hard. Because I guess I'm not completely deci- decisive on this. 
So I do want to work on my art projects, such as my book, you know, my books, my fiction. Yep. Uh, so I want to work on those, but I also do want, I do one day want to get married and have children. And um, I do want that. And that hasn't been very easy. You know, I'm, I'm accused of being very picky, but I, yeah. I'm not picky. I just have standards. You know, because yep. I, I want, because I want, when, I'm, when I get married and have children, the woman I marry and have children with, she doesn't have to be this big, objective ideologue like me. But I think right. it's very important that I be with someone who recognizes that we each own our own lives, that my life doesn't belong to the state, neither the state of Hawaii or the state in general, you know, state gov- as in government. And my life doesn't belong to the state, doesn't belong to my ancestors. And it's not. It's not easy to find someone like that. I mean, if you go up to any one person and ask that person directly, do you, do you think my life belongs to my ancestors? They'll laugh and say, uh, of course not. But you can right. see through their actions that they really do believe your life belongs to your ancestors. They will reproach you and say, why, you know, when you when people in your family demanded that you go to the temple and participate in this ritual to honor your ancestors, why do you chafe at that? Why do you chafe at that? Shame on you. Mm-hmm, when people mm-hmm. try to guilt you in that way, you see that they do believe that your life belongs to your ancestors and not to you. Yeah. So it's very important very important to that I be with someone who values independence. And that's really not easy to find in Hawaii, in anyone of any ethnicity, really. So no no Stefan Moyu fans. It's not because we're not not because there's so many non-white people in Hawaii. <laughs> Everyone of every ethnicity in Hawaii um, is too much like that to a large extent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's uh, that makes sense. I, I one thing, it's never been a better time in history than now to find somebody that you uh, have the same uh, values or the same like goals, because there's you know. There's so many dating websites now where you can tailor, you know, what you're looking for. And, you know, I, I met my wife before all this, you know, but th- I, that's yeah. certainly something that I would recommend somebody do, especially as uh, an objectivist. I think it, it's that would be a good a good thing and a good way for you to find someone that, you know, maybe not totally objectivist, but someone who is very close to it. And uh, somebody that you can maybe bring over to the side, the good side, fully, and is open to it. You know, someone who has an open mind, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is again, thank the whoever invented that the the dating apps. Thank them. Thank that producer. You know. All right. <laughs> so. So yeah, um, that's um, that's kind of all I have for you. Do you want to add anything at all to? Uh, to the to your thoughts or anything? Yeah, yeah. So you know, so well, yeah. But, but you know, so I guess I should I should say that you know when I was a little a little boy, this was before the whole thing with my white hair. I was a hugest fan of the paranormal and UFOs. And I prided myself on believing in all of that because I thought that I needed, for the world to be exciting, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and UFOs all had to be real. 
and and um, actually, re- and um, my father wanted to cure me of that, so he sat me down and he showed me these movies of James Randi, you know, in front of the TV. And he oh yeah. Me oh, James he's great. Randy. I love James. Randy. And love well, him. well, yeah. Now I like him, but the way my father did it was really irritating. You know, I don't recommend that. <laughs> you know, but geez, yeah. so pompous. So, but you know, actually, what got me out of the whole paranormal thing. And I, I did, I started, you know, at first it seemed very innocent and any political, but eventually the more I got into it, the more I believed in their far-fetched New World Order conspiracy theories, you know, the type that James, Alex Jones promulgates. So I think it is mm-hmm. dangerous when people say, well, I just watch Alex Jones for entertainment. Well, maybe it starts that way, but I find that, you know, more people go along with that, the more they fervently believe in it, like with the Stanford Prison yeah. Experiment. Where yeah. that was experiment yeah. where students first had to pretend to be prison guards, and at first they were joking around playing, but the more they played that role, the more they took it literally and started to act like that in real life. Yeah. So, so and what actually what got me out of that was actually reading Ayn Rand, and I also reading biographies of you know great entrepreneurs like Thomas Edison and Howard Hughes, and I thought you know what I don't need the paranormal for life to be exciting. There are right. exciting things to find. Where there's you have scientific evidence, you have direct evidence, and all those things. Yep. You know, and there there's so many fascinating organisms existing in real life, especially around Hawaii, like the frogfish. It's a fish that lives in coral reef and it actually walks on its fins. You know, it mm-hmm. looks like something from science fiction. And right. That's, it's really exciting to look at. So that actually, so I it was it was actually um. It was the full thought. So I guess what I mean is that people cling to these unreal things, things that don't exist. They cling to their faith for psychological reasons. Yes. And I think as long as they, they're invested in it, they can't be argued out of it. Even with a lot of evidence, they can't be argued out of it. I think they're going through something psychological. And they have to be psychologically at a point where some, something inside of them tells them, I'm ready, I'm ready to look at a different point of view. You know, I'm ready to look at reason. Yeah. Well, I this think is what happened with me. People, uh, pe- people need a philosophy, whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not. That's why, you know, it, that's what religion is. That's what it is. Okay. And so, <clears throat> and, so go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, no, I didn't no, mean no, That's okay. So, so, go ahead. So, 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 so when I finally, finally realized I don't need the paranormal, for a long time I felt pretty embarrassed about my paranormal phase. But um, nowadays I find I haven't lost interest in any of those things. I still, right. want, I still like, want interested in reading about mythology, you know, about yep. the stories of how these ideas came to be. And lately I've been reading about astrology of all things and how, yeah. how the Babylonians invented it. And it's really fascinating, especially when you, in some ways, when you, when you learn not to take it literally, you, you learn, you realize it's symbolic of something. In many ways, it's even more interesting. And you actually, when you, learn, you see these things as symbols they are, you learn more about the world around you. You learn more about what people, you know, society and why people think what they think. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I went, so, so I wouldn't tell objectivists not to read about not to read the books about the Loch Ness monster 
or mythology or astrology or any of those, what I would say is when you when you learn that this is not literally true and you accept that, it actually becomes more interesting to read about. And there's and there's so many insights to be found learning about those things when you know that they're not to be taken literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so if you want to ask me about Hawaiian ghost fun. stories, yeah, I'll I'll tell you them. Yeah. And with a clear conscience too. That's awesome, dude. Uh, we'll have to do this again next week and talk a little bit more. Maybe Meg will be uh, uh, back from uh, from building, uh, helping the poor in Guatemala. I just put that on the. Did yeah. you see that? I don't know if you saw that. I thought that'd be clever to put on there just to just to see what she said about it when she sees that. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, so next uh, next Wednesday, Stuart, you can come back on and. Uh, We'll continue with whatever conversation we decide to go with. And like I said, hopefully Meg will be back. And um, remember, your life belongs to you. Thank the innovators, the producers, the people in the health field that are creating R&D for new medicines. Uh, Thank you to all of you. Keep doing what you're doing. We need you. We love you. And uh, you're the tremendous value of my life, at least. And, uh, Stuart, I don't like to speak for anybody, but I think I can safely say yours as well. So well, that's... thank you. Yeah. 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 Okay. The Debbie, I feel that my debutante ball has been a big hit. So mahalo. Yeah. You, you looked fan, fabulous. So, <laughs> all right, pal, we'll talk to you next uh, Wednesday and, uh, Oh, Hey, uh, tweet this episode out, Stuart, to your followers. Get, let's get some people listening to the replays. Okay. But, well, first, if you promise me you're going to go onto Twitter and read all stupid tweets, people tweet. <laughs> oh God, I, I'll have to. You know what? I'm going to drink heavily then. Okay, so that'll be all that'll right. be the trade-off. That'll be the trade-off. All right, pal. Okay. Uh, take your take care. We'll talk to you later. Mahalo.
glorious.